Hi there, it's Julia Louis-Dreyfus. You may know me from my podcast called Wiser Than Me, where I talk to older women and get their wisdom from the front lines of life. I was amazed by how many people told me our show made them look forward to getting older, which is why I'm here to talk about season two of the show. Sally Field, Billie Jean King, Beverly Johnson, Ina Garten, Bonnie Ray, just to name a few. All hail old women. Wiser Than Me season two is out now from Lemonada Media. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Welcome to the Mystery to Me podcast. I'm Anya Kane. And I'm Kevin Greenlee. And we love movies and television shows with a whiff of mystery. Mystery to Me will feature us riffing on murder mysteries, film noir, cozy detective stories, police procedurals, psychological thrillers, legal dramas, tales of teen sleuths, and more. Once we're done yucking it up about whatever we've just seen, we'll serve up our five-star final takes on whether it's worth your time. If you're offended by silliness, profanity, political asides, canine-related interruptions, and losers laughing at their own bad jokes, beware. Also note that some of the stories we'll be talking about are pretty dark, and in some cases exceptionally badly written. So content warning for murder, violence, suicide, torture, rape, racism, misogyny, homophobia, transphobia, and bigotry. If there's a movie or show you'd like for us to talk about, email us at mysterytomepodcast at gmail.com. Our show's take on genre is pretty loosey-goosey. So as long as your suggestion has some dash of mystery, we're interested in hearing about it. Spoiler alert! We're going to be discussing the entirety of this show or movie, spoilers and all. So if you want to be surprised... Press pause, go watch the thing, then join us for the show. Now that you've heard our spiel, go ahead and polish off those magnifying glasses and slip into your favorite trench coat. Let's get mysterious. What did we watch this fine, rainy evening? We watched Five Star Final, a 1931 film starring uh, the great Edward G. Robinson, uh, Eileen McMahon, and Boris Karloff, who later that year would go on to achieve lasting fame as Frankenstein's monster. <laughs> if he'd been Frankenstein in this, or Frankenstein's monster in this film, that would have made it much more fun, don't you think? You're giving a little bit of a heads up. On what you thought about this picture. (laughs) 
Frankenstein, Frankenstein's monster. Uh, can you go ahead and turn in those uh, <laughs> city city beat reports? <laughs> Where are those news and briefs? Oh, Frankenstein's monster threw them in the pond to drown. <laughs> we could have fun, but no. And wouldn't he freak out if anybody in the office was smoking? Yeah, yeah. Oh, we'd be like swatting lighters out of people's hands. They'd be like, that guy's no fun. <laughs> Oh my goodness. <clears throat> a bunch of angry readers would come in to complain and he'd think it was a pitchfork mob and run. Just it, it, the possibilities are very limited, but still better than this. So and this is a movie about reporters on a newspaper. Mhm. A tabloid newspaper. How does the picture start? So Five Star Final uh kicks off with a baffling headline. I didn't really get this. It says S.O. asks heart bomb. Is that what it said? That's what it said. And in fact, later on in the movie, this isn't going to be a spoiler, but later on in the movie, we see another front page where that headline also appears a second time. They loved it so much, they used it twice. <laughs> it's a pretty snappy headline. One thing is that my, is my favorite thing in the world is like when, I mean, it's not, I mean, I feel bad for these people who experience this, but when newspapers print the wrong caption or when newspapers print the wrong headline, it, the results can be quite funny. So anyway, that reminded me of that. This is not a funny picture, to be clear. But in the, So is this something you were going to send into the Columbia Journalism Review? Yeah, this... For, yeah. Uh, red tape holds up bridge. <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> Get out. <laughs> How rich. We're done with this. Um, basically the first 10 minutes give you an idea that this is going to be about a bunch of, you know, kind of sleazy, but snappy journalists doing sleazy, but snappy journalism things. Yeah. For the first 10 minutes, though, with a lot of snappy dialogue, I was writing down the lines. I was smiling. Yeah. But that's kind of, uh, a front. That's sort of like a mistaken headline on a piece that's actually about something else entirely. And that's sort of this movie in a nutshell or a nut graft. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> and, anyways, um, we have to have fun now at the beginning while the movie's fun for five minutes because then it's just going to get into a big long slog. So anyway, this is the Evening Gazette. It's a barrel of the uh, bottom of the barrel scraping tabloid um, that, you know, nothing is too uh, sleazy to print, basically. And we learn early on that it's even among tabloids really kind of stretching the rules as to, you know, what it will do in order to boost up its circulation. For example, what's one of their what's one of the circulation boosting strategies that we see them employ in, in the opening, Kevin? Uh, threats and intimidation. Yes. In the city at this time, uh, most of the newspapers were sold on newsstands. They realize that one of the newsstands is putting their paper at the bottom, below other newspapers, uh, which really affects its sales on that street corner. So they go there. They send some newspaper thugs, agent thugs newspaper thugs, uh, over there to bully and intimidate the man who runs the newsstand. He says, you're not going to tell me how to run my newsstand. I run it the way I want. And then they start uh, attacking him and throwing some sort of blackish liquid substance all over him and his papers. I thought it was blood at first because I wasn't really paying attention as usual. <laughs> I like the clapping and the wah, wah, wah. We, ne we, need to not we may need to make a rule where we don't touch those buttons. <laughs> it's going to alienate everyone. But anyways, I mean, it's a great idea, frankly, 
uh, I might go out and hire some goons. Uh, to, Didn't you do that, the to, flat hat? Yeah, well, no, I, I might. The flat hat was my college newspaper. Uh, I peaked in college, so we're going to bring that up a lot today. <laughs> but, I, I mean, nowadays, now that my I'm a, I'm a journalist as my career, maybe I'll go around hiring some goons to force people to click on my stories with on their iPhones or subscribe uh, via, via my stories. It's honestly not a horrible idea. Boost my circulation. Why are you looking at me like that? <laughs> Anyways. Um, you know, and so already you're probably getting the idea, wow, this is a really subtle picture about like some of the uh, nuances of journalism that are maybe a little uh, less savory, less than savory. Oddly enough, despite sophisticated tactics like that, circulation doesn't seem to be doing too well. Mm -hmm. What's the problem? Ugh, it's Robinson himself. Edward G. Robinson? Edward G. Robinson. Uh, he's an editor who is a little bit too uh, snazzy for this joint. He cares about things like journalism and like getting things right in your reporting. Pfft boring nobody wants to talk about world politics that's not why they're reading the evening gazette they're reading it for salacious stories about bad sleazy stuff and so the, the brass the top brass at the paper are gonna are gonna come down on robinson they're gonna tell him it's too boring it's too sentimental frankly he's too swell for the chewing gum trade exactly that's what they say makes a lot of sense when they put it that way you know. they, they complain because he runs headlines like Love Under the Sea. And, you know, uh, their readers eat too much fish to get romantic about them. Exactly. That's they, a line in this movie. That's a line in this movie. And, and they make no bones about they are shooting for the lowest common denominator. This is the 1930s equivalent of the people who want to click on those weird links at the bottom of web pages where it's like, you know, Meet singles in wherever, you know, you live. Like, this is who they're selling to. This is their core customer. And they are letting them down in some key ways at this point, thanks to this guy's snobbery. And now at this point, a potential new reporter comes sauntering in. This is Kitty Carmody. Mm. She's a sassy broad. She comes in wearing a very tight outfit. Uh, this is the type of woman who has her hands on her hips, even when she is sitting down in a chair. That's my type of woman. This is played by uh, Una Munson. and uh, She says, I've had a lot of experience in Chicago. Mm. Somebody says, well, you look it. That's the kind of picture this is. Chicago's always putting out uh, slutty journalists. <laughs> I mean, like, I don't know what the implication is here. Maybe that meant something at the time. And then um turns out that she's uh, getting a chance to replace a previous female journalist who was fired. I'm sure she was let go for a legitimate business purpose. Being flat-chested. <sighs> and 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 then we meet some character who is not important to the plot at all and disappears like in 5 minutes, but I wrote I wrote stuff about him here in my notes because they were kind of making him out to be like, okay, this is this is going to be a guy, but instead he kind of just serves to be an uh the source of an exposition dump because he's new and he keeps asking the secretary played by um aline mcmahon you know about what what why things are the way they are at the paper um but yeah his his name's goldberg he likes women with boobs he wants to be a reporter in the bronx and uh he wants to know when he's gonna get put out on the street put me in coach that's what he's saying he says i want to go out on the street and they say to him well what do you think you are a woman because it's the women reporters they send out to work the street, mm. if you know what I'm saying. 
That's the kind of picture this is. <sighs> this is, yeah. But I'm, it's kind of sassy and fun at this point, despite I mean, all of this. Like, I wasn't crazy about all this, but I was like, I can live with this. If it's just, like, sleazy, slinky reporters and, like, you know, kind of a stupid caricature of what it, what it's like to work at a tabloid, fine. Fine. At least we're jumping around a lot. But it's just endless exposition. Um, Goldberg flat out asks um, McMahon's character that, you know, if she's in love with the top editor, Robinson. And it's like, okay, like, (laughs) settle down. One of my favorite lines from this section is when they're all the reporters, because they work at a horrible paper, go and drink in a speakeasy. And one of them says, when anyone asks me what paper I'm on, I got to say the Gazette. What about it? <laughs> the defensiveness. And I was just thinking, like, this this part of the movie, not the rest of it, but this part of the movie very much feels like if media, drama, Twitter became sentient, took a bunch of cocaine, went back in time to the 1930s and made a movie. That's what this feels like, because there's all this stuff about like, he, you know, he left for the the Herald or, oh, the journal picked him up. And, oh, my gosh, this guy is sleeping with her. And, and it's like it, and it's like you could see t- media Twitter is very insular and there's lots of crap like that. So you could kind of you can kind of see that. So you recognize it. I recognize at this, this point. You're thinking this is a pretty realistic portrayal of my life. <laughs> yeah, this is <laughs> I just <laughs> I just sleaze it up every day when I write about, you know, companies <laughs> as a professional young woman. This is exactly right. Well, you always prance around with your hands on your hips. Yeah, I know. Wow. <laughs> is that a crime? <laughs> And you got a lot of experience at William and Mary. Well, one thing. What, <laughs> what is that supposed to mean? <laughs> People at William and Mary are too too nerdy to. Uh, they would not make it at this this sleazy big city newspaper. I mean, I, I'll say though, it becomes very apparent that this film has a capital O opinions about the media. You know, it's through the lens of this tabloid paper, obviously. A tabloid paper is different from like a, a good paper or like, you know, a TV station or a digital news outlet. The similarities, but there's a lot of differences. But this movie, you know, from the outset has things to say. But they, first they got to set up some of more of this lighthearted stuff. Uh, so the, all these guys are in the bar uh, talking and it turns out Edward G. Robinson's in the bar too, but he's in the bathroom. And then we cut to him in the bathroom, and our first image of him is a close-up on his hands. He's washing his hands. It's kind of like a Pontius Pilate moment. And it's going to be a recurring motif. We're going to see him washing his hands a lot in this movie. And I think that tells you uh, a little something that even though they want us to see Edward G. Robinson as being a part of this system, which they feel is obviously corrupt, I think they also want us to see him as being at least a little bit above it, uh, someone who has the capacity to at least grow beyond it. You find out that he previously worked at some more legitimate papers before he came to take the top editor spot at this mess. So he has those sort of journalistic instincts and abilities, but he also perhaps knows what a paper should be doing and how reporting should be done. And this is maybe why he's trying to um, carry this paper into a, a more uh, enlightened mode of being. But he's immediately, re- you know, uh, met with a lot of resistance here. Everybody says he's too highbrow. 
uh, everybody is saying his highbrow ways is costing them readers. It's like you, th Edward G. Robinson is like, you think you're above our readers. And he says, hell, if I sat on a cigar box, I'd be above our readers. <laughs> uh, and and uh, like we meet around here, um, Mr. Henchfield. Uh, he is the snooty snobby owner of the tabloid and i thought this was kind of an interesting choice he's not what you expect he's not like a creepy uh you know like oh yeah let's get that sex and murder in here he's he's like he thinks he's a moral crusader he's like the guy who tells women to, you know, wear more clothes if they don't want to get sexually assaulted. He's victim blamey. He's creepy. He's sexist. He thinks he's above it all. He thinks um, he has sort of like a, a Christian sort of right wing worldview we see pretty early on. And, and he um, and it's interesting because he's basically like peddling smut, but he also thinks of himself as this upstanding citizen who's using his newspaper to make the world a better place by, you know... It, it, you, you talk about his how you think he'd react if a woman was sexually assaulted by suggesting maybe she should wear more clothes. Actually, at one point, don't they, in the movie, have a conversation about, well, here's how we cover it, or here's how we should cover it if a woman was raped in a car. Yes. What What's that? Basically, if a girl gets raped in a car, the, the way they should handle that story is uh, send a reporter to the girl's mother to see if uh, she instructed her not to hang out with men in cars. And if she did, then that's a story because the girl wasn't listening to her. And if she didn't, then that's also a story because then mothers are losing their values. So it's like a really kind of disturbing look into this one character's mindset. And frankly, I thought it was pretty, pretty accurate because a lot of the, these kind of tabloid news outlets throughout history have kind of come from this conservative bent of like here's how society should be we're going to highlight the parts that we find gross in a way that often ends up just being utterly misogynistic just utterly victim blaming you know rape is rape is a problem sexual assault is a problem who should we blame obviously the women <laughs> who, are, who are who are the victims here I mean, and and he this character really i thought embodied that that sort of uh, media figure. Well, to be fair, uh, the movie does take the side of women a couple of times in interesting ways. Oh, oh, yeah. I think the movie is on the... The movie is very much against this publisher. They, they, don't, they don't like him. They don't want you to like him. So the movie, I don't think, is, is doing anything wrong here. I, I just thought this was a pretty interesting but accurate portrayal of the kind of guy who would own a newspaper like this in the 30s. Because at this point, they say he's a circulation booster. Let's start uh, resurrecting and digging up this murder case from 20 years ago where this woman named Nancy Voorhees was impregnated by a man who then refused to marry her. So she kills him and then ultimately is acquitted of the crime, uh, apparently because of sympathy from the jury. And the movie very clearly is on Nancy Voorhees' side in this. Mm -hmm. We don't really know what happened, if it was a romantic relationship, if there were lies told, or if she was assaulted. All we know is he impregnated her and wouldn't do the right thing. She kills him. That is seen as being a good thing. 
and we're supposed to sympathize with her. So I thought that was an interesting uh, moral choice. Love to see it. <laughs> Love to see it. <laughs> Honestly. And we, and we don't need to know, we don't need to know all the details, you know, but, you know, suffice to say, yeah, the movie's very much on her side. The movie is very much on the side of um, uh, McMahon, who is, whose character comes to embody the voice of reason and sort of the voice of women in this, because... Um, she's often confronting Robinson with some hard truths about what his newspaper is doing, basically. You like that character a lot. Love that character. She was awesome. I was thinking the whole time she should have been the editor <laughs> because she would have come at this from a a, a sensible but uh, compassionate position. Because, I mean, just so much of what tabloid journalism is, is is just obsession with sex and obsession with putting women down, basically, in whatever way, whether it's a... Whether it's a, a tabloid running something about like, oh, this celebrity got, you know, heavy. Whoa. <laughs> Bodies change. Wow. Or, um, you know, and, and, and enforcing horrible body image issues in, in, in women and men, frankly. And, uh, you know, or, or like obsessing over murderesses. You know, like uh, it's, it's, a, it's a problem. So she, she's a, a counterpoint problem. to that. She's a counterpoint she, to that. She's very uh, welcome. She's a ray of sunshine, a decent person in the movie. Mm-hmm. Now, before we get too much further, uh, as I say, uh, Robinson is pressured into covering this old case again and playing it up big on the front page. And it's not too much of a spoiler to say this ends up badly. Uh, and a lot of that is probably because of the choices they make in terms of how they handle it. But... You as a reporter, is it okay to suddenly decide to write a story about a 20-year-old crime that perhaps a person has moved beyond, even though they've been convicted of it or charged with it? Should we just give people their privacy? Is it okay? Is it okay in some circumstances and not in others? Kevin, how did we meet? (laughs) We met uh, covering a 40-year-old crime. Yes. Which Uh is always okay. (laughs) 20 versus 40 it's a key rule in journalism no i mean here's the thing i think intent matters so much intent and the mode of coverage one thing i was thinking about this is i mean it seems it it, it's it's a thing where you could say that another article written by a more respectable newspaper that handled the the issue in case with sensitivity would have been fine it, it could have been a good, you know, retrospective. Maybe um, maybe they reach out to Ms. Voorhees for comment. She declines, and they focus on something else. The intent uh, with this piece was, from the get-go, couched as, this is salacious, this is going to boost circulation. This is the only reason we're doing this. There's not really much journalistic purpose to this piece other than getting more... Uh, newspapers purchased. To be oh, blunt, you're gonna be cynical with me. Isn't everything a paper prints designed to hopefully raise circulation? So, in my opinion, anything that a news outlets put, anything that a news outlet puts out there is indeed expected to go towards the bottom line. A a, a news outlet should have a point of view. A news outlet should have a value add and a, and a purpose that it's serving its readers, listeners, watchers, whatever, its audience. And if that is, in the case of Business Insider, that's people who want to be informed about various aspects of business and want to dive into those things, right? 
um, with uh, the New York Times, it's more general interest. So like each of these outlets is serving a niche. Um, This is serving kind of people who want sex and blood and, and, and crazy, crazy stuff, you know? So you can, you can argue that a lot a lot is wrong with the 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 business model of tabloid journalism just from the get-go because it's it's serving a lot of really base impulses um what i'm just rambling what are we talking about you said everything is okay everything's about money i mean sure but but that doesn't mean that you should approach something sans ethics i mean and the first thing they teach you when you start doing journalism is like what is the news hook why are you covering this right now what if they're covering this particular story because it's the 20th anniversary? Is that a legitimate news hook? Seems like a legitimate news hook, yeah. You know, and, and, and if that had been just, if it had been like, it's been 20 years? What, it, whatever happened to this woman? What became of her? This, this crime was motivated by her being pregnant. You know, did she have the baby? Did she keep the baby? What happened? I'm curious. Our readers must be curious. Is that a legitimate story? I think something along those lines could fall within a legitimate story. But here's the other problem. It's not all about intent. It's about how the mode in which you put this story out there. And we're going to find out later that they put this out in a, a very trashy, damaging way. And, and, and one where, it, you know, it's not just about like, oh, you know, don't, don't print a story about someone because it'll ruin their life. Like sometimes... You know, if, if, if it's something bad that happened, someone did something bad, you know, the coverage might ruin their life. But you got to you got to make that call. But does, in, it, does a person have a right to their secrets? No, but a person does have a I mean, in my opinion, any good journalist will reach out to the person for comment to address whatever is going to be run. And they did not do that in this case. They use subterfuge. To get so if anyways, you, so if you reached out to someone who was a key figure in a twenty-year-old murder case that you're going to write about, and that person said, "Not only do I have no comment, I'd really prefer for you not to write this story at all. It's really going to cause some damage to my family." What do you do? I would say, "I'm sorry you feel that way. I I feel like you should take the opportunity, or at least consider taking the opportunity, to share your side of the story in this, because if it runs." Without your side of the story, you know, y- you should have a chance to put your side out there along with the other side. And in, in the particular example of this movie, the woman who was the key figure in this big murder case, uh, basically after she was acquitted, started keeping it a secret. And she didn't tell, she and her new husband didn't tell anybody that she was this famous person, never told their the daughter that uh, their mother, her mother, was this murderess. Does she have any moral responsibility for what happens when... Yeah, this- she does. She absolutely does. She should have told the daughter who her father was, and she should have told the daughter what happened. That that's That's definitely not the newspaper's fault. But it is the newspaper's fault to be putting sort of an arbitrary deadline on when this, on, on this story... Because they basically get the scoop, print it right away. When I would argue that there's no reason to, there's absolutely no reason to. So they, they, it was a rush job. It was a situation where they didn't get her insight at all. And I think the most egregious thing in this is that the reporters end up using subterfuge to 
get this. Okay, thing. I guess maybe now we should uh, yeah. move to the. But specifics. I'm just gonna say, I mean, this this is obviously like a very appalling case that the movie outlines, and it's it's unfortunate. It's an unfortunate case. There's there's issues. It's like like so many things in life. There is a spectrum of I think what is acceptable in the field of journalism, and this is on very much the far side of the do not. This is terrible spectrum. There's elements of it where you could say maybe something, but with this would be okay. But all in all, with all the factors at play, this is a this is a bad this is bad bad evil journalism. Let's talk it's, about it's canceled. Let's talk about the particular ways. Yeah, this form of journalism needs to bounce. Yeah, get it out of here. We don't let's do talk this about shit. let's talk about the particular ways they try to get this story. One of the publishers or whatever says we need to get like a minister to write an introduction to the article talking about the immorality of it. And then Edward G. Robinson says, well, I have, I have good news. I don't have a minister, but I have a min- I have a reporter who was kicked out of uh, divinity school for uh, basically what sexual offenses Be- being a sexual predator. And that uh, reporter is Boris Karloff. And so this is the person they decide should cover the story and perhaps try to insinuate his way into it by posing as a minister. And the newspaper execs are just friggin' in love with this idea. They're going to send around postcards to working women saying, warning, don't fall in love with your boss. And then with like, you know, I almost said links with with notices about where they can read this uh, this series on Nancy Voorhees. Um, I liked I liked Robinson calling one of them the Sultan of Slop. <laughs> it sounded like the Dire Straits had an outtake, <laughs> an unfortunate outtake. But um, Karloff is a creepy presence in this film. He's a he's a sexual predator who has like a very formal tone, and uh, you know everyone treats his creepiness as sort of like a joke. Robinson tells Munson to basically. Uh, you know, don't ride it in a taxi with him. Ha ha. You know, like, or he'll grope you. I mean, it's might like, rape you. Ha ha. <laughs> Wouldn't have, that be rich? What a fun newsroom. Um, at this point, someone asks Robinson's secretary, do you think this is a story that people would uh, be interested in? What does she say? She says, I, I think you can always get people interested in the crucifixion of a woman. Is which... she right? <laughs> yes. She's absolutely right. She's. She's on the money. And I think that's the other thing. With this case in particular, it was solved. They know that this woman shot her, uh, shot a man and killed him. Um, we don't get information on why, but whatever whatever happened, a jury found it, a jury acquitted her. And so the case is solved. So that to me also is like, well, why write about it again? And the reason I think it probably got so much attention in the first place is because tabloid junk always loves women killing men they love murderesses why is that um because they're perverted creeps (laughs) i think there's something like "Ooh, women are supposed to be docile lambs what what happened with these sexy women gone wild oh (laughs) and if you like watch like if you like watch true crime shows like cracked or something or no not cracked what am i thinking of snapped Snap, crackled, popped. Uh, <laughs> My favorite cr- cr- true crime show is Mad Magazine. Cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. Um, I I would say uh, if you watch like Snapped, you'd think 
Like if you were an alien, came down from space, watched Snap, you'd be like, wow, these poor men. They're just uh, they're just getting picked off by these ladies one by one. What a nightmare. Must be horrible being a man in this in this world. I mean, and, you know, that's not how homicide works. You know, men men tend to kill women if, if we're talking about a gendered breakdown of violence. Where's the story on that? Oh, wait, it's not it's not fancy tabloid crap. You can't make that sexy. It's just the world we live in. So, you know, murder, murder needs to have a quote unquote hook that you can, you know, sell to your readers. Would the argument be a dog bites man is not a story. Man bites dog is a story. Yeah, but that's a that's a that's a model that uh, allows editors to skate by on on selling cheap crap, basically. If everything's just about, oh, the novelty. I mean, like if if you have like an, you know, epidemic of violence against women, you know, which is just where we live. Maybe, maybe you should dig into that. <laughs> maybe that is an important story if it's like raging around you, you know? Well, at this point, Edward G. Robinson washes his hands yet again. We have that motif. Did you think that was corny or effective? I thought it was corny. What I thought it was, you? it was really corny. Yeah. It was like symbolism. Ha ha ha. Where's my, <laughs> where's my Purell? Yeah, that did not work for me at all. Uh, and then your uh, old friend, the guy in the straw hat, had a scene, which I believe you enjoyed. Oh, uh, he, uh, so some guy in a straw hat is like the business editor or something, and he's organizing a, a race of, a racist race of taxi cabs across the city, because he's like referring to all these like ethnic stereotypes or something, and uh, and uh, it's going to, the joke in the office is, it's only going to kill 100 people. Ha, ha, ha. Okay, we get it. The tabloid is bad. So now we cut to an apartment that has uh, two couples in it. An older couple, which is Nancy Voorhees, uh, under a different last name because she's married. So it's her and her husband. Then it is Nancy's daughter, who her husband raised as his own. And the man that Nancy Voorhees' daughter is going to marry. And if the newspaper... Uh, personnel were comically one-sided and negative and bitter and cynical. These people are comically one-sided, very happy, very joyous, very swell eggs. Uh, at one point, the man who's about to get married to Voorhees' daughter even uses the word swell. He said, gee, this business about getting married is swell. So we know it's not going to end well for these people. Yeah. Because it's that kind of movie. It's that kind of movie. And uh, and they also, I mean, maybe in an ominous touch, uh, what what is this older couple getting their daughter and their soon-to-be son-in-law for the wedding? A radio. <laughs> I almost hit the womp, womp, womp button, but I feel like we've overused <laughs> that joke today. You know, I guess for me at this point, I kind of, the flaw of the movie starts coming out where, like, listen, like, this is just sad. I know you said these are one-sided stock characters and it didn't make you sad but to me it's just it's depressing like we know something bad is gonna happen here but it's not told in a very compelling way i don't know it's it just feels like this is where the slog starts for me i guess yeah it didn't make me the least bit sad because the characters were really completely uh one-dimensional paper cutouts obviously just created to make uh, whatever point the filmmakers wanted to make about uh, journalism and human nature. And so I just found it dull. Yeah, but like, it's just, it can still be depressing, even if they're not well written. Like, I don't want to watch, like, it's like, 
I like I don't want to watch like people getting bad news for like an hour. Like that's just not my idea of a good time it, with a movie. And especially it, it's like supposed to be sort of like I think a tragedy, like a tragic arc. But it just I don't know. It's it's not a smart enough movie to be nuanced enough to really, you know, get and you love cynical journalism movies. I, I love cynical I love the movie Ace in the Hole. I, I guess part of it is is like if you go out on a blind date with somebody and the person you go out on a blind date says, Oh golly gee, I'm a nice guy. I'm a nice guy. Boy am I swell. Why don't you just like me? You they you don't really engage with that. And that's what this was like. It was just people trying to get us very hard, very quickly to like them so we can care about the inevitable tragedy instead of making us grow to like them through their natural behavior and dialogue and writing. They just have us try to like them through really cheap and manipulative stunts. And it didn't work for me in the slightest. So this uh, this older couple uh, sees the newspaper and sees an advertisement for the upper, upcoming serial uh, the Gazette is going to run on the Nancy Voorhees case. And they get really freaked out. And they um, start to try to figure out how exactly they're going to handle this. Because they reveal that they did not tell their daughter that Nancy Nancy's identity as a, as a woman who was uh, tried for murder. And the fact that uh, the dad, her dad, who she grew up thinking was her father is not actually her biological father. And well, yeah, and and they're getting and the uh the daughter and her her swell swain are getting married the next morn. And the swell swain his parents are high up in New York society and probably wouldn't be too crazy about their son marrying the child of a notorious murderess. Here's where the printing press gets snarled for me. You think you're signing up for a movie that's going to be about a bunch of kind of maybe sleazy, maybe kind of noirish reporters running around, delving into a cold case, having adventures around that. And instead, we're getting this morality play. And I'm all for, you know, roast the media. I have no I have no bones about taking the tabloid journalism factory to task it's a it's it's terrible it's corrosive i don't like it you know as a as a journalist but if you're gonna if you're gonna talk about something like and 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 kind of make this a tragedy then talk about it in a way that's make the characters interesting like do something give us something to latch on to because otherwise it just feels like i'm being lectured or we're all being lectured about like you know the horrors of tabloid journalism Without it being, like, particularly interesting. You're kind of overloading it, too, by making them such a charming young couple. And, oh, my golly, they're going to get married the very next day. Like, everything is coming to a head all at once. It would have been more, I was thinking, like, how, what, what you could do to kind of maybe punch this up a bit. Maybe maybe have a lot of things be going on, and then the, the tragedy sort of comes out the end where they figure out that they printed something uh, in for the sake of getting something sexy that really you know, hurt this couple or, or, you know, the, and, and have it be like less of like a slow burning disaster and have it be more of like a kind of a gut punch at the end. You know, it, it's like, we have to sit in this uncomfortable, you know, mode for a long time. So it, it just, it, it didn't, it didn't work. And it, it's just so unnuanced too. like the, the tabloid folks are just so obviously bad 
And, and, and these people are so obviously good. And they're also a little bit dumb. They're so dumb. They're the dumbest. T- tell us what they do. Oh, gosh. So they know at this point, they know this story is coming out. Um, and uh, Karloff, after uh, sexually harassing Munson on the drive up, um, because that's what passes for comedy in those days, basically, he disguises himself as a minister and uh, worms his way into the apartment, the uh, couple, the Townsends, which is Nancy Voorhees and her husband, they think that he is from the church where their daughter is to be wed. So they talk to him and, you know, they're chatting and he's asking them questions. They give him a picture of their daughter that he says he needs for the church records. And then they say, um, Nancy Voorhees reveals her past to him and says, listen, like you're a man of God. What can I do? Maybe can your church try to talk to the paper to tell them not to ruin our lives like this? And and he, of course, says, of course, yes, I'm Boris Karloff. And well, but first, maybe give me a picture of your daughter, you know, one that's really high quality that can also be used in a newspaper. Also, what's it? What's her uh, what's her beau's name? And what's her name? Come to think of yeah, it. What's her name? So he so they they give him all this stuff. And then as he's leading, leaving, the dad's like, I think we just fucked up. <laughs> Because you wouldn't wouldn't have known uh, the name of our daughter, and then oh no, what have we done? So so they realize that they're in deep shit, and um and here and that okay like in terms of in terms of that, that's not okay. You can't do that as a journalist. You should identify yourself as a journalist in most cases, like in in pretty much all cases except for maybe a few. If you want to do like a Nellie Bly situation, talk to your editor. But you you, you got to identify yourself and you got to identify where you're working. You can't just I if I want to talk to somebody, I can't just show up pretending to be like a nun, a nun. Right. So th- this is kind of where the whole the whole th- their tactics become. They go from like kind of like, OK, that's that's questionable, you know, sexist coverage to like this is next level evil villain shit sitting in your volcanic lair shit in terms of journalistic ethics this is just bad so that should be obvious but a lot of people are not super aware of what the media does and the media is not always good at talking about like what's acceptable what's ethical so i just want to be very clear that you can't do that there's occasions where undercover journalism is allowed for but those are very few and far between. And this would not be a case where I don't think anybody would be like, yeah, go go dress as a minister. Go sneak into their apartment. These are not public figures, mind you. You know, they've lived quietly for 20 years, and that's just not okay. If you did he, some- he, 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 he Christmas princed it. That's basically what the Christmas prince lady did. But anyways, but with a much less disastrous outcome. What were you going to say? I think we should just move on. What, what were you gonna say? <laughs> Let's just move on. Once, once you pull, once you play the Christmas Prince card, it's time to move on to the next topic. That's fair. Um, so McMahon at some point now is just yelling on the phone for. And she's yelling at Robinson, saying, "What about your ideals?" He's well, ideals won't put a patch on your pants, <sighs> which you know it makes you think. Makes you think. <laughs> Money, the root of all evil, so deep. <laughs> Karloff tells Robinson that Nancy Voorhees... Oh, so basically, Karloff comes back into the newsroom, meets with Robinson, says, this is a huge story. Robinson's kind of tentatively like, oh, I don't know. Is it? And then Karloff lets the bombshell drop. 
Nancy Voorhees' daughter is getting married tomorrow. We got to run this now. And uh, and then Robinson's pretty much like, okay, and draws up the front page. They're going to put this girl's picture on the front page. And his secretary isn't too happy about it. She gives him the what for. She reads him the riot act, if you will. She does. She's the voice of reason. She's like, this is shitty. You know, this this isn't really news. This is just kind of. See, I, I know you like this character, but to me, she is a bit awkward. She's just being used as the voice of the screenwriters telling us what to think because they don't have confidence enough in the audience to figure out on their own that this is bad behavior. So they want somebody there to tell us what we are supposed to think. She's also, her 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 strength is also sort of undercut by the fact that she still works at this newspaper. And it is doing so seemingly because she's in love with Robinson. Do you know what I mean? Like she's kind of like, you know, may, maybe it's time to resign in protest or do something big in order to disrupt things. But at a certain point, she's accusing Robinson of doing, do, you know, doing harm. But she's supporting him in his quest to do harm. So maybe, like, I was thinking, like, oh, my gosh, if she, like, stole the photo of the daughter and just, like, walked out, that'd be awesome. Yeah. So I, I like her as as far as, like, I like the point she made about women being crucified. And, and, and so, you know, if she's the scriptwriter's mouthpiece, yeah, I, 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 I can see that. But like what she's saying, think they're valid points to share. But it's just, I think the problem is this, 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 this movie has like stuff to say, but it has no like sense of storytelling. It has no sense of like, how can I organically convey these ideas? Maybe the screenwriters should have written a punchy essay. Yeah. A punchy essay about like, Hey, a lot of tabloid journalism is pretty sexist. Let's think about this because decent ideas. Uh, but you gotta, you gotta have it. You gotta have it conveyed in a way that doesn't just feel like slapped on and kind of inorganic in the in the story because it's it just kind of gets lost in the shuffle i feel um but anyways i mean one thing i was curious kevin did it did did uh karloff's behavior make you feel kind of like like as somebody who likes to research stuff and find things out uh and i don't mean the se- sexual harassment <laughs> I, just, I just mean that's a key part of my process get back to the microphone sir you're like running away <laughs> i mean as like as far as like you know, finding where people are, researching people, researching stories. That's what I was kind of asking you about earlier, about is it is it okay to go to people who have been involved in notorious things in the past and who have moved on uh, in their lives? Well, yeah, now I'm throwing it back at you, sir, because you do the same thing that I do. <laughs> I can remember, uh, a, a, I'm going to speak a little vaguely here okay i'm gonna ask for your indulgence okay i'll indulge you uh a couple of years ago uh i was interested in a notorious criminal who uh spent uh like 40 years in prison and actually died in prison and before he went to prison he was married to a woman who divorced him soon after he went to prison and after that divorce, she moved on with her life and now has a completely different name. And I figured out with some help uh, what this woman's current name was and what her address was. 
and I thought it was very possible that she could have some information about this notorious man that would be uh, useful to me. So what should I have done? Should I uh, approach this woman or not? Uh, is that a tabloid thing to do? I can tell you I did approach her. Was that a mistake on my part? Was that tasteless? Was that uh, a horrible, monstrous, Boris Karloff-esque act? Yes. No, I'm just kidding. Um, I think the I mean, what makes something tabloid journalism is is how it's published. It's how it's put out there in the world. And I can tell you, I, I approached this woman with someone else, and she was shocked and a little horrified and surprised, but she ended up inviting us into her house and talking with us for a while. Uh, the conversation was off the record, so uh, we never did anything with it, but it was an interesting conversation. See, I mean, that's where I... I have a lot of interviews with sources that are off the record or they're on background because I talk to a lot of retail workers and it's not a matter of their lives being ruined in the sense that they're going to be like splashed all over the front page. Oh, this, uh, you know, Lowe's worker, you know, from wherever is doing this. But the, the issue is that they will, they might get fired. They might get fired and they might have their careers um, at whatever store they're at hampered by being public or publicly criticizing their companies. So for me, I take a attack of being as careful as possible with these people who I depend on to tell me important things about the companies where they work. And I try to be as upfront and as clear with them about everything that I'm doing and what I'm going to print about them and, and, and sort of like, Treat them with kid gloves. And I think that is not necessarily something that every journalist does. But I couldn't live with myself if somebody got fired and lost their livelihood because I was sloppy. And they got found out. So I have a very specific idea of how to treat people, how to treat people anonymously and, and whatnot. But I, I guess... My question for you is what what do you think makes something bad and intrusive? I think it would have been bad it, it, to use your example if you had gone to that woman who'd been through hell. Hell. Absolute hell. Not of her own making. Just this this she was that man's victim too. Yes. And had gotten her story, went back home, da da da, da, da on your typewriter and submitted a story that got published naming her and, and talking about all that she went through. Yeah, I, I can tell you her life was in a completely different place and she was worried that what would people think if they knew this is what I used to be. She feared humiliation. And and so, I mean, I think that would have been horrible. And, and I guess what purpose would that have served other than to humiliate her and make her life worse what mm. what purpose would outing her as the former wife of this guy have served without her permission it would have accomplished it would have served very little with her permission perhaps it could have been empowering to her mm -hmm. and i think that's what that's what the that's what this story comes down to what purpose does rehashing the nancy Voorhees case serve the public and and not just rehashing it maybe you could discuss well they pleaded insanity, and and that's what got her off. Maybe that's a maybe that's a issue that kind of is continuing to come up. But why drag it out in terms of like Nancy Voorhees' daughter is getting married tomorrow? Like, look how crazy! Like, gawk gawk at these people. That's 
that doesn't serve any purpose as far as I can tell other than gawking, looking and pointing and humiliating somebody. If the purpose of a story is just to humiliate somebody over their salacious past, that's not worth it. Okay. What do you think? I, I agree. Anything to add? You have summarized, you've crystallized my own thoughts eloquently. There you go. That's what I'm here for. Thought crystallization. <laughs> so we're getting kind of close to an in-game situation here. Uh, Nancy uh, is there when her prospective son-in-law and her daughter come in. They've just seen a play. And the son-in-law says, oh, I'm not too happy about it because it was a story about a woman with a past. And golly gee, I hate stories like that. And she thinks, oh, my, this isn't good for me. <laughs> she just, I'm sorry. You talk now. <laughs> Are you okay? <laughs> Are you okay, sir? Yes. Kevin's having a time. Kevin's having a five-star freak out. <laughs> And so then the, the couple, the young couple leave and then the uh, prospective in-laws come in and they've seen some of these papers. Uh, the young couple has not seen the papers with uh, Nancy's face on them. Uh, but the in-laws, the prospective in-laws have seen them. They say, oh, this marriage must not happen. And Nancy starts to freak out. She says, well, what I'll do is I'll call the newspaper and I'll just ask them not to print the story. That always works. Yeah, it's like the emergency brake on a train. You can always call a newspaper and ask them not to print a story, and they're legally obligated at that point not to print it. Sure, guess I'll take it off the schedule. Okay, what? Um, so she calls, gets through. Finally, after being bounced around, you know, in a split screen, you know, by different different players in a in and you know who don't want to talk to her, she finally gets through to Robinson. He sort of callously tells her that the story is already published and the paper's on the streets. And then, um, then and she says, okay, I know what I'll do now. And she kills herself. She kills herself. Um, her husband comes in. He was out trying to get help from their, uh, clergy, their, their minister. He finds her body. And then he has to kind of pretend to be okay when the daughter and her feet, you know, her, her fella come in. Because he doesn't want them to know what's happened. So he says, ah, oh, your mom's fine. She's just running a little bit late. Why don't you go ahead and go and get married and we'll join you later. And they say, okay. And they leave and then he kills himself. I thought that was a sad scene where that actor was like doing the like pretending to be okay, but I'm actually like devastated mm. thing. I thought that was well done. That was, that was sad. That made me sad. Uh, and then so he kills himself and then two reporters coincidentally uh, then break in, discover the bodies. And of course, being who they are, they just take pictures of the dead bodies. So they get a big scoop. Then, of course, the fallout is immense because not only has uh, the daughter of these two people lost her parents, but she's also lost, you know, any sense of identity that she had and potentially her her fella because uh, the guy's parents come in and they're saying, you know, we you know, they we won't marry our son to a, the daughter of a murderess. But of course, it's, it's completely inappropriate for uh, parents of an adult to try to dictate their child's uh, romantic choices. And so he stands up to them uh, and they storm out. Yeah. 
I like that. Um, but you know, now now Robinson feels terrible because people are literally dead over this whole situation. And uh, he and McMahon meet at a speakeasy. She tells him, "Oh, there's some cops at the newsroom." Um, and you know, he's getting he's just at the end of his rope at this point with this this situation. Um, and he goes and meets uh, the publisher, and uh, they exchange harsh words. And the publisher at one point says, "Oh, for two cents, I'd smash your face." And Edward G. Robinson says, "Well, you'd do anything for two cents." I think that was the business manager. Yeah, they're all the same. They're all the same. They're all like balding, mustachioed guys. And then at this point, uh, Voorhees' daughter comes in and she starts speechifying. No, screamifying. She's screaming the whole time. She just shouts this whole speech, which kind of rendered it less effective than it might have otherwise been. Because, you know, maybe you like yell at points and make the point, make like emphasize things, and then kind of get quiet. Like she's just yelling. So yeah, basically, she gives a big speech about how bad they all are. And then Edward G. Robinson gives a speech about how bad they all are. And then uh, she pulls a gun and her fiancé comes and takes her away and says, if you ever print anything about this, my fiancé, again, I'll kill you all. And then Edward G. Robinson quits. That's the end of the picture. He, uh, <laughs> he tells his boss to shove it up his, and then he throws his phone against the uh, glass of his window. And... and- did you think that do you think it works when at the end the big climax is people monologuing to each other? I mean, that's how you and I communicate. I don't know what you're talking about. I mean, I don't I don't think a lot was effective about this this film. It felt like it, it, I I think you mentioned that it was a, it was originally a play adapted to film, you know, maybe it would work better as a play when you're kind of sitting in the audience watching this happen um on a stage. So maybe you're disbelief is suspended a little bit more to a certain extent but seeing it all go back and forth on on in a film where like maybe a monologue is a little less welcome it you know just kind of felt very stiff very awkward uh and then the very last shot of the picture is uh an edition of the newspapers in the street being swept up with the other garbage and i gotta say anya that when they were uh publishing the script for this movie. I wish somebody had yelled, stop the presses. And and swept it up in the garbage. Now your turn. Well, I did think this film made some decent points about, you know, if it bleeds, it leads journalism and tabloids. But overall, I'd say I wash my hands of this drag of a picture. Thanks for listening this week. I'd like to give a special thanks to Kevin T. Greenley, who's no relation to me. He's the guy that composed the great music for this podcast, and you can find him on the web at kevintg.com. You can follow us on Twitter at mystery to me. That's mystery underscore two underscore me underscore, and at mystery to me podcast on Facebook and Instagram. And you can always send us recommendations and feedback of any kind at mystery to me podcast at gmail.com. We're not teens setting up Hotmail accounts in the early 2000s, so all of those spell out two as T-O. Thanks Thanks so so much much for listening. listening.